Well, you know what's going to happen is eventually this guy is not going to survive. He died. And when he got up to heaven, he was mad. He said, get me to God. I want to have a conversation with this guy. So he gets taken to God, and Peter's like, cool your jets here. You know, this is God you're talking to. <laughs> you're going to be talking to. And he says, you know what, God? I prayed for you to rescue me. What's, up the, what's the deal with this? I'm not supposed to be in heaven yet. He says, you know, I sent you a canoe. I sent you a boat, and I sent you a helicopter, and you should have accepted that. So obviously, this guy had all, all, all this opportunity to get rescued, right? And most of you are thinking, okay, I've heard that joke before. It's, maybe someone could have told it better. But you guys understand, this guy had all the opportunities in the world to get rescued, and he said, no thanks, no thanks, go help somebody else. And a lot of people respond to Jesus that way. They have the opportunity to get help from Jesus, and they say, no thanks, I'm going to trust something else. I'm going to rely on something else instead of, uh, instead of trusting Jesus, um, instead of ex accepting the help that he wants to give me. Point number one is there are those who should accept Jesus who will reject Jesus. They have all the opportunities in the world, like the guy with the boat and the guy with the canoe and the guy with the helicopter, who say, no thanks. They have every opportunity, but they say, I, I don't want that. And that's what we're going to look at first. Uh, in Luke chapter 20, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus talking to some religious people, some people in a, the synagogue. And he, the first thing we're going to see is that there are those who should accept Jesus who will reject him. Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 15. Jesus went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, he rented to some of the farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and, and treated shamefully. And they sent him away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him, and they threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, well, what shall I do? I'll send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they, they talked the matter over. They said, this is the heir. Let's kill him, and then the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. This is a parable. This is a story that's told to teach a lesson. It kinda, you kind of develop this picture in your mind, and you start to understand uh, a little bit of how these people might have heard it, how they, they might have seen this. And, it's, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 21 a little bit as we look at Luke, because it gives us more details. It's the same parable in a different book, and it gives you more to, to give you a better understanding of what it means. But the general idea here is that a man bought a vineyard. And if you look in uh, Matthew 21, verse 33, it says, this landowner planted the vineyard. He, he put a wall around it, he dug the wine press, and he built the watchtower. So this guy didn't just buy a, a plot of ground that's already fertile, that's already been worked up. This guy had to I'm sure, worked the ground. He had to pull the weeds. He had to do something in order to get the ground ready. And then he says, okay, I want to protect what I have here. I, I have these uh, young uh, vines that are going to grow up that I'm going to get grapes from, so I'm going to build this wall around it, keep the, the animals away from it, keep the people from helping themselves. He said, I'm going to put a watchtower to watch and make sure that everything is okay in my vineyard, make sure that the danger outside is not going to come inside. And then when he says, okay, I'm going to leave now, and I'm going to give a, this vineyard to some tenants to take care of. And I think we can understand that. Uh, if, if, you own a piece of prop, if you don't own a piece of property, but you are taking care of it, you are the tenant, right? You're the one who's taking care of this. Maybe you have leased the land, 
but you have to pay somebody. You have to give them something in order to stay in that land. In that case, uh, back in the Bible times, they didn't usually use money to do that. They would give a share of the harvest in order to keep uh, renting the land. It might be something that it was a, an agreed-on amount. Well, I want uh, nine gallons of wine when you're done with it. You can have the rest. Or it might be a percentage. I want 40% of the crop. And so that's, uh, that was fair, and that was what they agreed on back in that day. And so this master is doing what he should be doing, what he wants. He says, I'm just going to collect uh, my share of the harvest. You, they did the work. They're going to keep renting the land. I'm going to collect my harvest. So he says, okay, servant number one, why don't you go and get some of that for me? Well, those tenants didn't really appreciate that. They didn't like that. So they, it says, I'm not sure what they did to the first one. They beat him away, and they sent him away empty-handed. Not very nice people. He went home with his tail between his legs and said, this is what these guys did. So he says, okay, let's send another one, maybe one that's a little buffer, a little bit tougher looking. We'll send him to go take care of this. This one they treated shamefully. And so he went back home. And he says, okay, well, let's, this, isn't, uh, this isn't right. I, I'm going to send my biggest, my baddest, my strongest uh, servant I have here. And this one they stoned. They, they, they humiliated, they hurt him, they, and he went home. And so the master's like, okay, you know what? I've about had enough of this. Um, that maybe they're just not respecting my servants. I'm going to send my son to go talk to these people. And the son, he goes, and what do these, the tenants do? They start to dis discuss among themselves, uh, you know, if we just kill this guy, we can just have the land, which sounds like a really dumb idea. I mean, you think, okay, you, you, you just rejected all these servants. Now you're going to kill the son and think you're going to get it yourself. But back in the day, if you had an absentee landlord, who didn't check in with those servants for three years, the land reverted to the, the tenants. Because if the, the guy died, and you're, and, or if he lost interest, somebody's got to own the land. They've got to be able to claim it as theirs. And so they, I think they were thinking, if we just kill this guy, we're going to short, we're going to make this quicker. They're going to still have to wait three years, but ultimately this land will become theirs. But it was their greed that clouded their judgment that made them think that this was even possible. But, and, and so the landlord, what's he going to do? Well, I don't know what you would do, but if I sent a servant of mine, obviously I don't have any, but if I sent a servant of mine to go collect the fruit and the harvest and that didn't work out, I, I don't think I would send another one. I think I would go myself. But this guy said, I'm going to give these guys another chance. I'm going to love these guys, and I'm going to send my son. And I would, I would go uh, with, a, with a gun, with a knife, with... Uh, a whip with a bat with anything I had and I'm going to kill these guys as slowly and as painfully as possible because of they killed my son and so this this master this landowner says I'm going to wipe out these guys and I'm going to give the land to somebody else that's what happened in the parable now uh, as far as what this means maybe you you look at this and say I know exactly what all that means uh, maybe you don't but to better understand what did these people hear about when they, they heard this parable? Because they knew exactly uh, where Jesus was going with this. There was there's Isaiah chapter 5. It gives a it gives kind of this, a word picture that's going to have a lot of the similar wording as to what Jesus is saying. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it. Up, he cleared it of stones and he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower and he cut out a wine press as well. So you have this word picture that they're going to say, oh yeah, we know exactly where that's from. Especially 
the religious leaders of that day, they're going to know this is from Isaiah 5. And according to that parable, or, or to what is being said in Isaiah, it's painting a bad picture about the nation of Israel. Because in that picture, it's the land that is not producing fruit. As Jesus is saying it, he's not talking about the land that's not producing the fruit. He's talking about the tenants. He's talking about those people who are supposed to be taking care of the fruit. And when Jesus is saying this about the tenants, he's talking and he's referring to those religious leaders. And those religious leaders know this, and they hate Jesus, and they want to get rid of him. In verse 19, it says, The, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. They knew where it was coming from in Isaiah. They knew how Jesus was relating it to them. And so just like those tenants were not taking care of the land, of taking care of the vineyard and not giving the, the, the due that the landowner deserved, these tenants are not taking care of their responsibility of being the spiritual shepherds of the people. The, so, the, so you have here the, the picture of the, the landowner obviously is God. In verse 7 of chapter Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, it, it even talks about how the, the vineyard is is God. He's the landowner. The people are the vineyard. You have the servants. Who are the ones who are supposed to be taking care of the land? Well, in, in the Old Testament, uh, these would be referred to as the, uh, the prophets who came time after time to try to connect with the people, to try to turn their direction away from going the way that uh, the world was saying and trying to turn their direction to following God. In the Second Chronicles chapter 36, Verses 15 through 21, I'm going to see if I can find that real quickly. It was a very common theme that it happened over and over again. The same kind of thing, Isaiah chapter 36, verses 15. It says, The Lord, the God of the, their fathers, sent word to them through their messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. That's the master who's still sending these servants because he has pity on the, ten, on the, the tenants. He wants to send his servants to collect, and he's having, over and over, he's talking to these people. But it says in verse 16, they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against them. And, and ultimately, these guys end up in Babylon because they said, we do not care about what the prophets are saying. We don't care that what they're saying is supposedly from God. We want nothing to do with it. And so you can start to see the similarity between what is happening in this parable and what uh, happened in the Old Testament. How this is a repeating story. God sends his people, tells the people, you need to turn from your sins, you need to follow Jesus. And the people say, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. So you, you, get, uh, you get in the idea that this is a reoccurring thing, that this is not what God has in mind. If you continue this word picture, you know that the son who was finally sent was Jesus. He was the one who finally came. And when he came, as, as if he were coming to collect the fruit, he should be coming alongside those religious people. All these, all these teachers, these, the teachers of the law who are leading the people astray, they should be leading people to Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he should be able to commend them, saying, yes, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And the people are still coming to him. But these people, they act like the tenants of that, that parable. They say, if we can just get rid of Jesus, if we can just get rid of this this landowner's son, we can have it just the way that we want it. And they can continue leading people astray uh, just as they had always done before. And these people have rejected Jesus over and over and over. And at some point, 
uh, you know, in that parable, it says that those people were going to be put to death. When that, when that master came after they killed his son, they're going to be put to death. Well, that happened. Not immediately, because those Pharisees, they got away with it. Those, those teachers of the law, they put Jesus on the cross. They accomplished exactly what they wanted to accomplish. They were able to kill the son. They were still able to continue to lead people astray. But at some point, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. All those people who said, I don't care about Jesus, I don't want his message, they're going to have to do that. They're not going to want to. That might be the last time they put their knee on the ground, but they're going to, they're going to bow and they're going to have to admit that Jesus is Lord. And then people in America are just the same. I and mean, people all over the world, not just America, people all over the world are just the same as these, these people who need help but are willing to reject Jesus. That there's people in America who should accept Jesus who are going to reject Jesus. So just let your mind wander here, come up with some numbers. How, how many churches do you think there are in America? I don't, I don't know that number, obviously. How many churches in America do you think on a day like this are preaching the gospel? How many, how many times do you think people have heard the gospel, even just in your own life? I mean, I've, I've been in church my whole life. I've probably heard the gospel like 4,000 times, you know? And, and so I can just imagine your, your experience is probably similar. Just think back of how many times people have heard these messages. How many people in America have a Bible at their fingertips? Or they have the internet? And you can listen to any preacher, day or night, to give you a message from God's Word. Uh, and people still choose not to accept it. They still choose not to believe it. How many, how many times have you heard of kids who have grown up in a Christian home, who went to church every day of their life, they went to a Bible camp, they went to a VBS, they, they went... Uh, even helped in these things, who still say, I don't want it. Sure, while I'm living in my parents' house, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my parents happy. But when I walk out that door, I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, I tried to find some stats on the, the number of kids walking away from the Christian faith once they leave the home, and there's nothing good. It's every, everything that you can find, I can't give you a percentage, but it's downhill. I mean, and it's only going to get worse for the generations and the generations to come of kids who say, you know what? I went to church every day of my life. I read my Bible all the time, but I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. I don't go to church anymore. I don't have a Christian worldview anymore. And so I feel bad for all you kids. I feel bad for my kids, the ones who say, you know what, I'm going to maintain my faith because you get out there, it is not going to be the same. There are going to be kids who want nothing to do with Jesus anymore. Sure, they might come to church at Christmas. They might come at Easter time. They might come when they come back to visit you to keep you happy. But there are going to be kids who say, I don't want any part of this. And I've known lots of them. I know uh, missionary kids. I can think of a couple of them who grew up on a mission field, whether it was overseas or whether they were a, a missionary in America. And I think of this one case, uh, this, this guy that I, I really look up to, he has three kids. The second two turned out they're still walking with the Lord. One's in the Army. He's not out there being a pastor or anything like that. He's just an average Joe out there serving our country, and he's serving God in the army. The other one's more following in her father's footsteps to be a missionary. But the one son wanted nothing to do with this. The dad is a missionary. This guy eats, breathes the gospel. Every time he gets up to preach, you know the gospel is coming out. And he's coming, uh, they do, um, he's, he's always being a guest speaker as, uh, at events because they know he delivers the gospel so well. He can, he can pull out a book 
and say, these are all the people who have come to know the Lord that I have talked to. I've told you, I've got like five people, right? This guy eat, eats and breathes the gospels always, but his own son says, I don't want anything to do with that. And it's not because this is a guy who's always gone. This is a guy who's home. This is a guy who homeschool, they homeschool their kids, and he's, he's very interactive, but the kid still says no. I've known camp kids who have worked at camp in the summertime, and then once they, they do that, they, they say, I don't want anything else to do with this. Uh, I know Christian kids at home. I've known preacher kids. And why is that? I mean, it, it's really sad. They're, they have every opportunity to hear the gospel. They've heard it. They've memorized it. They've shared it. But when it comes to really wanting it, they, they really don't want it. And some of them quietly reject it, and they walk away from the faith. Some of, some of them are very loud and obnoxious about it. They, they don't want it, and they don't want you to have it either. And so they cause this big stir about trying to keep other people from having the gospel as well. So if you think about this in terms of the guy with the boat, the guy who was sitting on the roof not wanting to get rescued, he had opportunity after opportunity. Sure, it was his own feet to get him there. It was his own arms to help him swim away. It was the canoe. It was the boat. It was the helicopter. He had all these opportunities to be rescued, and he said no, because he's relying on, you want to say he's relying on God, and wow, that's great, but I mean, according to the story, he's relying on something else. He's not taking advantage of this, the answer that's staring him right in the face. So one side of the coin, you have people who should accept Jesus who are going to reject Jesus. They might pull the wool over your eyes, and you might think they're saved, and they might think that you're saved, but there's also going to be people who did not look for Jesus who are going to find Jesus. Verse 16, it says, He will come and kill those. Okay, about part of verse 15. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to those people? He will come and kill them, but he's going to give the vineyard to others. They're, 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 the, religious, the religious leaders of that day who should have been trying to accept the gospel message that they had, the, the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus coming to them. They should have accepted that. They said, we don't want anything to do with this. If you look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, it gives you a, a, a clear, eye, clear picture of what does that verse mean that I just read. It says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce his fruit. The nation of Israel, throughout the Old Testament, we, look, we talked about it briefly in Sunday school, they were supposed to conquer the promised land. But they weren't just supposed to go on a killing spree and wipe everybody out. They were supposed to present the message of God's love to the people that they came in contact with. There were people who did join them. And I, I've mentioned before, Rahab the prostitute, she was from Jericho, and she joined the, the lineage of Jesus. And she was not a Jew, right? She was a Gentile. She joined it. So there were people who were re, uh, sharing out that message with the people, but there were people who did not do it. And so Jesus is saying, look, Jews, you guys don't want this message? Fine, you guys don't want to get rescued off the roof when you have all these opportunities? Fine, I'm going to go and get in my boat and go somewhere else and find somebody else to rescue. And in Acts 28, 28, you, you, see, you find out, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. The message of God's love slowly grew for years upon years and then when the persecution happened, it went like this, and people scattered all over Jerusalem and Judea. The message of God got out there in a hurry. It, it totally just lit a fire, and the message has gone out. The Jews didn't want to do it. God says, fine. You guys don't want to do it. These guys are going to do it. I'm going to pass this along 
to them. So there are people who are going to hear God's message who did not look for it, who didn't spend every Sunday in church, who never went to a VBS, who never went to a WANA, who are going to hear the message of salvation. Uh, I think about uh, back in Martin, the kids in prison back in Martin Hall. You know, those, those kids, they were 15 years old. They didn't go to church. They were too busy getting in trouble. They didn't have parents that were trying to lead them to the Lord. They didn't have any kind of, of that influence. But guess where they heard the message of salvation? In jail. You know, God says, I'm going to get them into jail, and that's where they're going to hear it. They weren't expecting to hear that. You know, the lifestyle of those kids while they're in prison was perfect if you wanted to, to talk to them because they'd have to sit in a jail cell, and they hear that there's cookies downstairs. When they, they hear that somebody's coming that's going to let them out of their jail cell, and so of, of like the 15 to 20 kids, you'd have about 17 to 19 kids who would come. Yeah, they'd sit there like this, or they would, they'd look at you, or they would try to talk to their friends, but there were kids who actually heard the message of salvation. I got to lead one of those kids to the Lord, and I, I got to see other kids. But those kids didn't go there looking for that. You don't go to jail looking for the Bible, right? You don't go to jail looking for Jesus. You just try to do your time, and you try to get out there. But God says, I'm going to make sure that these people get this, even if they're not looking for it. Other countries, people are hearing the gospel that they didn't know Jesus ever existed. They didn't look for Jesus. Um, I love hearing the stories about the Muslims who uh, they had like some kind of special encounter with God, and God says, look, Jesus is real. And they come to, they, they get all that, that they can about who Jesus is, and they start to search Jesus out. But they don't have no interest in him. They're not praying, looking for Jesus, and they, there's nobody who can get to them. But Jesus says, I'm going to get past those barriers anyway. You think about the stories of the Gideons. Uh, those people who are, you hear that they're, they're in a hotel room, and they're waiting to, to kill themselves, or waiting till uh, the next morning or something, and there's a Bible that they open up. And they start to read about the message of Jesus, and they get saved. They didn't go to that hotel looking for Jesus. But Jesus says, I'm going to find you in that hotel, and I'm going to lead you to the Lord. You know, one of my, uh, I want to I go back to last week a little bit. It was the Right to Life Sunday. And I'm just bringing this up for uh, a couple reasons. Uh, one is, you know, this, there are, there are people here, maybe not here, I, I, I didn't mean it that way. There are people who you probably know who have had an abortion. And I want to say that is not the unforgivable sin. So if you happen to be that person or you happen to know that person, know that God will forgive you for that and that you can move on because he'll save you from that sin just like he'll save the person from lying, just as he saves somebody from anybody else. That's kind of a little bit of a side note, but I want you to know there is freedom. You got all that guilt, you can give that up and you can turn to Jesus. And I know people who you can talk to if you say, I'm not talking to you about that, but I'll talk to somebody else. But also I bring this up because there's a lot of rejected lives that are going to be up in heaven, I believe. The 60 million babies that were killed, uh, they, they, they're going to be up in heaven. If, if I'll, I'll fight tooth and nail to, and, and to convince somebody that that's where they're at. 60 million. God says, fine, you people who are alive don't want the message of salvation. I've got to have, I've got to, I'm creating a new earth here. It's going to be populated by people. There's no procreation on the new earth. And so I want people here. I'm going to take people who the world says, we're not worthy of you, and I'm going to put them in my new heaven and earth because it's going to be full. People today are like the people in the helicopter. I don't need your God. I don't need your help. Go rescue somebody else. Go find somebody else who might need that boat, someone else who might need that helicopter. And God says, okay, I'm going to go help them. 
And it's going to include people in prison who weren't looking for Jesus. It's going to include people who out in the neighborhood who have never walked inside the doors of a church who are going to be saved. When people who came to church every Sunday said, no, thank you. And I think it's going to include those unborn babies that never even had a chance to choose or to accept Jesus. And so the thing is we have to remember is we have to take the opportunity while we can. That boat, once that helicopter left, that was it. There was no coming back. I mean, you, the guys, I mean, what do you look for now, a submarine? You know, there's nothing else that's going to come his way in order to rescue him. Verses 17 and 18, it says, Jesus looked directly at them and said, Then what is the meaning of what is written? The stone that builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but on whom it falls, they will be crushed. You know, buildings of that day, they didn't build with, like, you couldn't build a building like this back then. They didn't have the machinery to cut things to a specific size. You had to look and see what would fit as I'm trying to build this structure. And so you have this big stone pictured on the ground, and these guys keep tripping over the stone. They don't, they don't want the stone. Finally, somebody chucks it away, and they start to build this, this wall, this corner wall. And finally, they say, uh-oh, we need a piece that's going to fit right on top because they have to look for specific sizes, maybe chisel off a little to make it fit. And then someone starts to think, what can we put there? I know, there's that stone we kept tripping on, that stone that we got so frustrated, we threw it over the cliff. So now they have to go get this stone, and they have to put it on top. So what they didn't want to even have any part of now becomes the most prominent, the most beautiful, the most important part of these two adjoining walls, what's going to hold it all together. And that's the same way that it is with Jesus. People are saying, we don't want this Jesus. We don't want what he has to give. We're, we don't like what he's trying to say. But ultimately, they wouldn't give him no position, he ultimately is going to end up in the very most prominent place. Ultimately, every tongue is going to bow. Ultimately, every knee is going to confess. Ultimately, everybody is going to see him as the way of salvation. What they rejected is going to get the spot of importance that people didn't want to give it. People do not, and people trip over Jesus the same way as these people tripped over their stones because they didn't care about what he said. They didn't want to believe. I mean, sure, I bet if you ask everybody in the world, if, if they had a choice, could I go to heaven or hell, I think those who are thinking clearly are going to say, I want to go to heaven. And if you tell them, I just got to pray this simple prayer to get saved, all I got to do is just say these words, I think a lot of people would do that. But when it comes to, that's not exactly how salvation works. It's not just saying these magical words. It's a turning away from my sin. I'm repenting. I'm going the other direction. I'm turning away from doing what I want to say, yes, I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior. Yes, I'm going to follow him. And that's where people say, uh-oh, I'm starting to trip over this. All of a sudden, I can't live life the way that I want to live anymore. I've got to give up these bad habits. I've got to give up these lifestyles. And people say, no thanks. I'll take my chances with, with uh, being good enough. I'll take my chances that God's going to let everybody in at some point or a second chance. And so they, they choose that because they don't, want, they don't want to take the opportunity that Jesus has to give them. This guy in the boat. He drowned because he didn't get on the boat. He demanded this audience with God. And we're all going to get our opportunity to stand before God. We can say, I'm trusting in Jesus' righteousness to get me to heaven. Or I can stand before him and say, you know what? I really don't have much to stand on. I really wasn't good. I really didn't uh, do enough things in order to get to heaven. Everybody's going to have their one-on-one -on -one audience with him. And at that point, it is too late. So if by chance you're the person here, Who's, who feels it inside of them, says, you know what, I do not know Jesus as my Savior. 
I am begging you to get in the boat. The water's starting to rise. The helicopter's ready to leave. The, the rope is down there saying, hey, climb aboard, Josh. Because once it's too late, it's too late. And if you say, you know what? I have trusted Jesus as my Savior. I am the person who got on the boat, the canoe, right? The very, the very first time I heard it, I hopped in that canoe, and I got to safety. Or it took a little bit longer. I got a little bit older. I had to get into the, the police boat. I waited till I was older in life. Or I waited till like the last minute, but I got on the helicopter to get me to safety. But I did it. Uh, that's, that's exactly what, we're, that's what Jesus wants. And I, I don't, it doesn't stop there. Uh, there's a world out there who needs, their, the, the water's rising for them. They need to get in the, the boat or the helicopter before it's too late. Uh, Randy Jasper, when he was here, we had a deacon meeting on Thursday. And we, we were talking about ways to try to reach into our community. And he kind of bluntly said, people don't want to come to your church. Not because this church is anything, there's nothing wrong with this church. I mean, I come here, I like you guys, and you guys apparently are here. But it's, a lot of people are not just going to come randomly walk inside the doors of your church to listen to me talk or to sing hymns or to, to meet a bunch of people they don't know. He says, you got to get out there and you got to bring the church to them. The, the people that you work with, the people that you play basketball with, the people that are your neighbors, the people that you come in contact with at the grocery store, you got to get out there and bring it to them. So don't, don't, expect, don't wait, don't expect for them to do it here. Hopefully after you develop that relationship, we can get them into church because church is important for growing, for, for being strengthened and encouraged. I mean, I'm encouraged every time I see people here. And we have conversations, and it's a storing up of what did God teach you this week and what are we learning in Sunday school. But the church, the world out there is not interested in coming in to do that. So we've got to bring the church to them. We've got to bring the message to them. If, you ha if you're one of those people who said, I don't know this Jesus, I've been faking it forever, I, I want you to reconsider, and I'd be happy to talk to you about it. I won't look down on you or think anything about you. Salvation is too important. And if you say, I know Jesus as my Savior, please do what you can to get the message of Jesus out to the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your salvation that you have freely given to us. God, the Jewish people said for a time we don't want this, and so the Gentile world has kind of a golden opportunity to, to know this message and to share this message. And God, I just, I thank you for that salvation that we have. God, I know there, everybody or, or most everybody in here says they know you as their Savior. God, if somebody is in here, don't let them leave the doors of this church today without talking to somebody about the message of salvation. And God, I know we all know people who need you as their Savior. I do. I, I have neighbors all around me, God. And I know that people work with people. I pray that we would create the opportunities and you would open up the doors for opportunities and open up people's hearts to hear the message of salvation and that we have the boldness and the courage to share it with them. In Jesus' name.